Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to finish this chapter in our study of the Gospel of Mark together today. And after we do, we show up next week in Jerusalem. What a grace of God. What an amazing path that the Lord has paved for us in this narrative from Galilee down through the Jordan Valley to the area outside of Jericho and Perea through Jericho up to the triumphal entry that we'll see next week. But before we get there, this is a sweet passage. I would even go so far as to say this is a charming passage as we look into the heart and character of our Lord. This is a, this is a devotionally extracting passage. And as we look deeply into it, I hope that you'll look deeply into the character and disposition of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, that last paragraph, let me read it for us, beginning in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept on crying out, All the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, Bartimaeus regained his sight and began following him on the road. We live in the most medically advanced time in the history of man and how grateful we should be for such blessings. Medicines, antibiotics, surgeries, x-rays, CT scans, MRIs, chemotherapies, productive radiation, pain relievers, eyeglasses and hearing aids, and basic aspirin. These things were unheard of even two generations ago. These medical advances have blessed us as common graces of our good and kind God, and I hope you join me in saying, 
to God, thank you for letting us live here and live now with the advances and access we have to medicine. But the wonder of doctors, surgeons, medicines, put a grand canyon of distance between us and biblical times. If you really want to understand the life and times of Jesus, you really have to stop and pause and remember what it was like to be sick or have an ailment or even a broken bone during that time. Cuts and lacerations oftentimes became infected for which you could lose a limb, many cases recorded of that, and sometimes it could become systemic and septic and you would lose your life over a cut. A simple cold or case of the flu could last and last. It also could take your life. A broken limb was not easily set. Oh, they tried with splints to regain the posture of a bone as often and as well as they could. But oftentimes, if you broke a serious, a larger bone in your body, it would make you lame and unable to work, forcing you into begging humiliation And then there was the case of being deaf or blind. If you became blind, if you were born blind, if you came upon blindness through some uh, illness or some injury, or if you were deaf, there was almost no hope. You most likely became a beggar, humiliated to sit beside the road and call for handouts so that you could even have food for the day. You didn't have a personal doctor. You didn't have a primary care physician, and you certainly had no insurance. You're dependent on the people around you. If you were blind, as we find in this story with blind Bartimaeus, you were dependent on someone to guide you to food and to water, to get you to your bed each night, and to get you to your spot to beg by the side of the road each morning. Against that backdrop, we come to a miracle involving blind Bartimaeus. As we're going to see in a moment, this man who once was able to see. One of the verbs at the end of the story indicates that he wanted to regain his sight, meaning that he had had vision. He could see at one point in his life, whether it was through injury or through illness, through a degenerative, uh, degenerative eye disease, we don't know, but he could see at one point And ask Jesus for his sight to be restored, to regained. And this miracle is spiritual and physical. You might want to note, it's the last healing miracle in Mark's gospel. Now, Jesus will perform another miracle, the cursing of the fig tree in chapter 11 that he performs. And it's hard to argue that the resurrection is not a miracle. But in terms of a healing miracle, this is it. He lives his healing mercies at the bottom of the hill before he climbs up from Jericho to Jerusalem. And in short, we observe in this account with blind Bartimaeus a stunning example of a man who understood uniquely, uniquely in the midst of a massive crowd, including the 12. He understood uniquely the true identity of Jesus and responded immediately to his call to discipleship 
even though others were actually hindering him and discouraging him and trying to prevent him from getting to the Lord. This is a very simple passage. It's a very endearing passage. But I think if you look at it clearly, you see yourself in this passage as a Christian. Or you might see yourself in this passage as someone who needs the Lord. To kind of stitch our thoughts together, I want to show you five links in a true conversion experience. Five links in a true conversion experience. Now, you may be saying, well, what does this have to do with conversion? We'll see in a moment. Down at the, uh, in, uh, in the end of the passage, um, Jesus says, go, your, your faith has made you well. That word is sozo. Your faith has saved you. This is not just a healing miracle. This is a salvation miracle. This is a miracle that Mark has designed to be put right on the outskirts of Jerusalem with this man of faith and the next scene you'll find a crowd of fickleness. Five links in a true conversion experience. And if you are a believer, you can find yourself in this passage And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, what an amazing providence God has given you to come and to hear about this man who came to saving faith and how you can understand Christ yourself. The first link is the place we all start, a marginalized condition. A marginalized condition. Verse 46, then they, stop right there, they, coming out of the previous passage, are the 12 and those who are bystanders around the 12. It's a crowd that begins to grow and grow. As they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho, now just for a minute, just if you're reading this in Luke or in Matthew, one says coming into Jericho, one says leaving Jericho, what is that? There were two Cities of Jericho, as it were. There was the old ruins, which you can still see today, which everyone still called Old Jericho. And there was the proper city, which you can still see today, which was another city called Jericho. So one man could say, leaving Jericho. Another uh, writer can say, entering Jericho. And they would still be saying the same thing. So don't let that cross you up. As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd was with them. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus was sitting by the road. As we've been studying, Jesus and his disciples have left Perea on the east side of the Jordan River. They've crossed the river. They've walked through Jericho, which is about five miles west of the river between the river and the climb up to Jerusalem, six miles north of the Dead Sea. We noted last week that they're on this road, which is about 18 miles, and it's a serious climb from Jericho going straight up to Jerusalem. It is a storied road. Much happens on this road. Just off this road, a few miles up, is likely where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. It's some 1,820 feet below sea level where they start, and they finish about 25 miles. 100 feet above sea level. Every single step is exhausting. They walk on this road through Jericho and a huge crowd starts to accumulate around them on the hike. Don't underestimate this crowd. I don't think this was a few dozen people. Why? 
What is the celebration in Jerusalem next week from this? Passover. Jerusalem was a magnet for people coming from the north, south, east, and west. There were massive, massive droves of people going toward Jerusalem. And then the rumors were true. The Galilean, the man from Nazareth, Jesus, is is there. He's going the same direction they are. And you can just see this buzzing crowd around Jesus. Thousands of people would be thronging to Jerusalem And it's not an underestimation to say that maybe hundreds to a thousand people were here at this moment. Mark's description leaves us with a scene of commotion. It's a large crowd. It must have been loud and bustling with excitement. This is him. We've heard of him. The miracle worker from Galilee was right there on the road with them. They were near a celebrity, Possible solution to their diseases, their sickness, perhaps their poverty. The answer to all their problems could be standing right in front of them. And then Mark, just as Matthew and Luke does, takes the camera of the divine lens of Scripture and shifts from the crowd to the side of the road. A blind beggar sitting there. Matthew tells us there were actually two blind beggars in Matthew 20 verse 30. Mark and Luke Luke only focus on the one named Bartimaeus. Here is the only place Bartimaeus is named. That's no contradiction. It's just that Mark is isolating the one, one of the men. Remember when we saw the garrison demoniac, there were two of them that Matthew indicates and Mark only isolates the one. Same situation here, no contradiction at all. His name is simple and it's interesting. You see a little bit of Mark's logic in looking at his name. Bar Timaeus, two words. Bar, the Aramaic word for son, Timaeus, son of Timaeus. And then he translates it for us, the son of Timaeus. Remember, Mark, largely writing to a Greek audience, realized they wouldn't know that this was the son of Timaeus, largely probably pointing to a Timaeus that most of the people knew. We're introduced to this man, blind Bartimaeus, with two descriptors. He's blind and he's begging. Marginalized, isolated. The point that Mark is making here and the point that the Holy Spirit wants us to see in the revelation of this text, I think, is that his condition is not only marginalized, it's desperate, but there's more. He's not only marginalized from other people, he's also marginalized in his position before God because he wouldn't have probably been able to hike up the, up the 18-mile trek to the temple to worship, being blind unless someone was gracious and took him. All he knew is to sit by the road and beg for people to give him money so he could eat that day. He represents, I think, every single sinner like you and me out of the path of Christ. He's the perfect picture of everyone who feels a desperate need for Christ, for salvation. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right. He just wants to have a sight back. He knows more than that, wants more than that, and Jesus gives him more than that, as we'll see in a moment. All of us, 
every person who's ever come to Christ finds himself alienated from God and marginalized from Christ. This physical descriptor is actually a metaphor that we can apply to our spiritual condition of being outside the path of Christ. Which brings us to a second link in a true conversion experience. Number two, an acknowledged Savior. An acknowledged Savior. We're going to have to do just a little bit of Bible study on this. When he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sitting by the road. Now don't think of this as a, as a paved two-way street like Mission Road that you can look out the window and see. It was a hiking trail. It was a walking trail. Some places as wide as a car and some places just for two people. He no doubt hears this buzzing commotion of a crowd coming up the hill where he's sitting. Luke tells us something very interesting. Bartimaeus hears the crowd and he, he hears the commotion. He says, what, what's this about? Luke chapter 18, verse 36. Hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this is. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. I mean, just, just put yourself in this scene. He's blind. He's desperate. He's sitting on the side of the road. We'll find out in a minute. He's covered by a cloak, probably to protect himself from the dust of the people walking by and the elements as well. And he hears a crowd. Oh, he'd heard people walking by, no doubt, all day. And then he hears a buzz and then footsteps and voices, and excitement, and commotion, and a crowd. And he asks someone who can see, what's going on here? And they say, Jesus the Nazarene, the one from Nazareth we've heard about, he's passing by. Bartimaeus had obviously heard of Jesus. That much is obvious. But Bartimaeus also, get this, believed something about Jesus that's gonna be shocking to you. Certainly was to me. He had come to a studied conclusion about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. For this blind beggar, Jesus of Nazareth was no mere miracle worker. He was the son of David. That's shorthand for the Messiah. Now, you can follow along, you can turn here, but these are important texts. How did blind Bartimaeus know about him? Why did he call Jesus the son of David? He could have called him any number of titles. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, this is David being spoken to, I will, by God, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom. So to David, God says, someone in your lineage, one of your descendants is going to rise up and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Ever. I will be a father to him. He will be like a son to me. When he commits 
iniquity. This is back to David himself. I will correct him with the rod and men and the men with strokes of men, but my loving kindness now shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed before who I removed before you, speaking to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. And your throne will be established beyond your own life forever. First Chronicles 17, verses 11 to 14 record that same conversation. Psalm 89, verse 29. So I will establish his descendants, David's descendants forever, and his throne as in the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, the promise to extend the kingdom through David, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and the witnesses and the witness in the sky is faithful. Isaiah 11.1, 1, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, down in verse 10 of chapter 11 of Isaiah. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the, uh, to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for all peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up David for a righteous branch. Stop right there. David was already dead when he said this. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And in his name, by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah 39, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Ezekiel 34, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Remember, Ezekiel is saying this and David is buried. You could go see his tomb. And he will feed them. He will feed him, them himself. He will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Hosea 3, 5. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek their Lord, their God, and David, their king. They will look for the messianic hope who's David's descendant. This beggar says, son of David. Meaning, this beggar didn't just see him as a miracle worker. He saw him as the Messiah, the Savior. Verse 48, oh, is there a lesson here? A painful lesson. Many were sternly telling him, to be quiet is really a nice way of more what the Greek says. You need to shut up. Stop being a nuisance to the Nazarene. But he kept crying out all the more. 
Son of David, he says again, have mercy on me. Messiah, Savior, look to me. Such a glaring contrast. No sympathy from this crowd. They knew what Jesus was capable of. They had heard the stories. They knew his healing touch. This blind beggar that some of them had no doubt given money to in the past sees a potential hope. And they tell him, be quiet. No one is caring for Bartimaeus and his friend except to isolate and alienate and keep them from the very source that they most desperately needed. Here it is simply. The people in this crowd around Jesus the Savior had zero evangelistic passion. Zero. Can we look in the mirror for a moment? When you see people desperate and needy, physically, emotionally, is your inclination to bring them to the Savior or to ignore their nuisance, their annoyance, and hope they stay quiet? This is a powerfully convicting, piercing arrow in my own heart. They had no evangelistic passion and they had no compassion. If the rumors were true, they knew Jesus could heal this man. They didn't care. Didn't care at all. And it's hard not to imagine that some of these same people would meet Jesus at the top of the hill and in the next passage will lay palm leaves down, palm branches down to recognize him as great and good only a few days later to scream for his execution. They were shunning and shushing Bartimaeus and trying to keep him from Jesus. They all knew Jesus was capable to heal him. They were thronging around him and only wanted Jesus to themselves. Selfish, uncaring. Still, Bartimaeus is loud and insistent. I mean, imagine... Of all the chances, I'm blind, I'm begging, I'm destitute. I have no hope. No doctor can fix this. And then in an instant, you hear a crowd and Jesus, who you know can heal, who's raised the dead. There's hope in the moment. And they're telling you, just be quiet. But he knew he was in the presence of not just a miracle worker, but the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And he asks not just for a healing, he asks for mercy. Look at what he's asking, and that's salvation language. Then Jesus does what we would expect Jesus to do. If you've been following along as Mark, you come to this point and you say, that's just like Jesus. Being adulated, popular, everyone loving to be around him. The disciples arguing about where they're going to sit when he's in the kingdom. And there's this blind beggar. Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Verse 49, Jesus stopped. Emphatic. He stopped. Crowd stopped. Commotion must have settled down. 
call him. Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, be encouraged. Stand up. He is calling for you. Unexpectedly, the Lord stops and calls for this desperate man. He doesn't slap a grasping hand as we saw a certain religious leader do recently. He is happy to be inconvenienced by this need. He calls him to himself. The people stop. They bring Bartimaeus to Jesus. The scene becomes quiet. Anticipation rises. Everyone is surprised, no doubt anxious. They had heard what Jesus had done up north. Now he's here in their midst. And the proof is about to be right before them. Bartimaeus is the only one, along with his friend, who understand the identity of the Lord in this moment. He acknowledged Jesus as the son of David, the Messiah, the Savior. He acknowledged who Jesus really is. He didn't want Jesus for just what the Lord could do for him. He wanted Jesus so he could honor all that Jesus is. Which leads to a third link in a true conversion experience. A marginalized condition, an acknowledged Savior. Number three, an eager disposition. An eager disposition. Verse 50. It's hard to read it without smiling. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumps up. And he comes to Jesus. Look at his disposition. Now, this tells us a lot in verse 50 about the man's disposition. And verse 51, we'll find out about the Lord's disposition. Bartimaeus throws off his coat. This was likely a, a poncho for warmth and protection from the dirt and the elements. I have seen beggars just outside in this area in the West Bank, and they sit typically with a cape on, and that's to keep the dirt from accumulating as people are walking by. Why is this a divinely important, inspired detail about his cloak? It shows his eagerness. It shows his abandon. This may have been one of his only possessions and he drops it and wants to lay aside everything and anything that might hinder his approach to the Savior. This is just one shot and he's not gonna miss it. I love the fact he jumps up, springs up, didn't hesitate. He was close enough to identify the voice of the Lord and he goes straight for the sound of Jesus' voice. We don't know if he was escorted by them or the crowd parts and he goes toward that voice that must have given his soul untold solace. He's standing before Jesus now and every eye is peering Answering Bartimaeus, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, before we talk about that question, does that sound familiar? Does that ring a bell from our last study? 
That's the question that Jesus directly asks to the disciples, James and John, the brothers, when they were arguing about who would be first in the kingdom, who would sit in the good place. He asked them too, what do you want me to do for you? You know what their answer was? Something selfish. And you say, well, isn't this man asking for something selfish? He's asking for something desperate. They want a position. He wants salvation. What do you want me to do for you? The responses are so different. The brothers want a position. The prominence, Bartimaeus wants to see. Look at his answer. The blind man, Bartimaeus, said to him, Rabboni, this is only the, the second place in all of the scriptures, all the New Testament, the gospel record, where Jesus is addressed as Rabboni. The other is in John 16, 20, verse 16, with a woman once possessed by seven demons. Rabboni, my, my rabbi, my teacher. I want to regain my sight. I want to see again. He wants to see, and he calls Jesus my master and my Lord, the son of David, the Lord himself. These identifying markers in Bartimaeus' recognition are instructive to us. A marginalized condition, an acknowledged Savior, an eager disposition he wants to see, he wants to meet the son of David who can touch his soul. In verse 52, we now come to number four, a gracious reception. This is the case with every believer who's ever come to the Lord, a gracious reception. Jesus said to him, go. The New American Standard says, your faith has made you well. H. Paisley says this, the Savior of the world stood still at the cry of a blind beggar. So much more than a simple healing of a blind man. It is a divine contrast between the faith of Bartimaeus and the fickleness of the crowd that's gonna show up in the next paragraph. Now this is important. This is the key to the whole story. Jesus does not tell the man that his faith has caused his sight to return alone. Instead, he says, your faith has, the Greek word is sozo, Your faith has saved you, not just from blindness. It saved your soul. The real miracle of this story is the saving of blind Bartimaeus' soul, not merely the regaining of his sight. That was just an external manifestation of the reality of Jesus' power. What he believed about Jesus as the son of David and the only true Savior is what resonated and sunk deepest into his heart. The crowd is going to hail Jesus as Messiah next week. And then a few days later, we'll cry, crucify him. Not Bartimaeus. He found a gracious reception with Christ. Listen, friends, if there is someone, if it's you sitting here and you've never received the grace of Christ and understood what it means to be a true child of God and saved from your sin, 
having the peace of God that takes all of your guilt away, that forgives every past transgression, every future transgression, that resolves all relationships in your heart, that gives you hope, that takes the fear of death away. If you haven't experienced that, join Bartimaeus. Because Jesus will always give a gracious reception for those who come to him as Savior. Always. In just less than a week, he's going to be crucified on a Roman cross. He is marching, as we saw in our last paragraph, straight toward Jerusalem. His face is bent on Jerusalem. He knows what's awaiting there. He told them, I'm going to go. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And still he goes. That reason is built on this disposition he gives Bartimaeus. Loving grace. He had the appreciation of hundreds, if not thousands, following along. And he stops for the man who recognized him and needed him most. What a gracious reception. Which leads, lastly, to an all-in commitment. An all-in commitment. In the middle of verse 52, immediately, Mark's favorite word, just then, right then, no hesitation, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Notice that the healing is immediate and instantaneous. It's not like those, those clowns on the TV who say, we're gonna heal you, go home and experience your healing. No, Jesus's healings were instant, verifiable, immediate. Also, look at the word regained. Ane blepsen. Literally means see again, which meant that he had sight in the past. He wanted to regain his sight. And again, we don't know if it was an injury, a, a, a degenerative eye condition. We, we don't know, but he lost his sight. We find another Markin sandwich. If, if you've just joined us recently, we've, we've noticed that Mark does things in, in his book. We call them Markin sandwiches. It's, it's not a very technical term. What it means is he kind of puts bookends on stories that, that give you insight into what the real meaning is. This is one. Look back up at, uh, at verse 46. Let me ask you a simple question. Where is the beggar in that first scene, it's very important, sitting by the road. What's the last phrase in verse 52 tell you? He is now on the road. That's not there by accident. This account is a picture of the saving work of Christ Bartimaeus asked not only for healing, but for mercy. Jesus grants him both. He could see he opens his eyes and he opens the eyes of anyone who is spiritually blind as well. Mark's strategically putting this right before, I think, the 
providence of God puts this right before his ascent up to Jerusalem. J.C. Ryle, I love Ryle. This is what he says. Let us see in these simple words of Bartimaeus a lively emblem of the effect that grace, the grace of Christ ought to have on everyone who tastes it. It ought to make him a follower of Jesus in his life, to draw with him the mighty power into the way of holiness. Freely pardoned, he ought to give himself freely and willingly to the service of Christ. Bought at so mighty a price as the blood of Christ, he ought to devote himself heartily and thoroughly to him who redeemed him. Grace, really experienced, will make a man feel daily, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? He follows him on the road. From marginalized, on the road means he's now going with Jesus. It's very likely that he will show up, though not recorded, in Jerusalem for the events of the next week. Off the road, now he's on the road with Jesus. He was a follower. Over and over, Mark describes a Christian as someone who follows Christ. Let's back up a little bit. What do we take away from this? Wow, just sat this week and began jotting down, what, what, what do you walk away from this passage with? I put four bullet points in my own life. First of all, Jesus is tenderly aware of our needs. He cares. He's tenderly aware of our needs. Having the, the, the appreciation of that crowd did nothing to take his gaze away from someone in need. And it's, we still worship and honor the same Jesus, tenderly aware of all our needs. Number two, boy, this is so encouraging. No one is a nuisance to Christ. No one is ever a nuisance to Christ. Come one, come all. Run to Jesus for mercy, for healing of your soul. Thirdly, and you probably know this is coming, we should never see anyone as beyond Christ's love and concern. There's an evangelistic footnote here. We should never see anyone as beyond Christ's love and concern. The entire crowd did. They told the man to be quiet, stay away from his needs, stay away from the Savior, stay away from your salvation. Wow. There's an evangelistic motivation here for us all. And then fourthly, he's on the road with Jesus. Number four, a true believer follows Christ because of his mercy on us. We follow Christ because of his mercy on us. This man experienced salvation in his heart, sight to his eyes and said, what must I do? I want to be with Jesus. I want to follow him. The same is for you and me. Think about this. Jesus would never again in his earthly life, never again go to Jericho. If blind Bartimaeus did not connect with him in that moment, at that exact second, 
he would have remained blind his whole life. But God's providence, his sovereignty, his loving care brought Jesus and Bartimaeus on a wonderful divine collision course. I can't help but think for all of us, especially if you don't know Christ, today is a day where salvation is offered to you. Jesus is passing you by in this story. If you're hearing of Christ's grace and mercy offered you to you today, you have no guarantee you will hear it again. He dropped his cloak. He jumped up with urgency. He went for salvation to the Savior. I would just beg you, don't risk another moment without Christ.